Well, good morning. Luke chapter 18. So let's talk about the elephant in the room this morning. How many of you were awakened very early this morning by a text message? And how many of you were like, that wretched Pastor Dan? Um, I am not going to tell you who set up the text to go out. But I'm going to tell you that she did not intend, did not set up for it to go out at 1.50 in the morning this morning. It was set up to go out at 4 o'clock yesterday. And the service that we use went offline so that when she went online to try to, to make sure, when, because she realized it hadn't gone out, she couldn't adjust it. So, um, you know, be angry with me, okay? Because I'm the one who told her to send it out, Jarena. Um... <laughs> You almost made it through without getting it, but, but no, she did not do that on purpose. So um, anyway, I'm glad to see you're awake this morning. No napping this morning, okay? No napping. Luke chapter 18 this morning, and as you're getting there, um, I hope you're still praying for the church uh, in Ukraine and the church in Russia and the church in Poland and Romania and those neighboring countries as they're trying to minister. Um, we sent out an email Thursday and gave you some new ways that you can be a part of ministering and, and serving that way. Um, if you should, would chose to give to some of those organizations that we listed, um, I think it's in there, the way to give financially, to put it in the offering box out there. And um, the, if you're bringing stuff that you want sent over there from Samaritan's Purse, that's fine too. Um, Martha Smith will collect it, and we'll make sure that it gets there soon so that it can go to the right places. So, um, several weeks ago, in Luke 17, we encountered the Pharisees asking Jesus about the coming of the kingdom of God. And from this point on now, the kingdom of God becomes a big idea here in Luke's writing here in his gospel. And just to remind us this morning, or maybe to, to instruct us this morning, if you weren't here a couple weeks ago, what exactly is the kingdom of God? When we see this term, kingdom of God, what's being referred to here? What's being talked about? What, what's happening here? Well, the idea of kingdom of God is the place where Jesus rules as Lord. Right now, if you're the child of God, whether or not you are aware of it, Christ is ruling and reigning in your heart. Okay. That's currently in the heart of his followers is where the kingdom of God is. But one day it will be expressed, it will be seen, it will actually be a physical kingdom here on this earth where Jesus will literally rule and reign. There's people that believe that right now what's taking place is ushering in the, the rule and reign of Jesus. In a way, yeah, it's going to happen, but there's a lot more that has to happen before that happens. And our text this morning deals with something more important than knowing when Jesus is going to rule and reign here on the earth. I mean, not that that's not important, but what's more important is, is how you and I enter into that kingdom, okay? That's the most important thing, is how a person enters the kingdom of God. Last week, we looked at verses 9 through 14, the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. And, and we learned in that, we learned in that parable who will be justified. The idea of being justified, being made right with God, is closely connected with this idea of how you enter into the kingdom of God. 
you can't enter into the kingdom of God without being justified by God. And so now, now that Jesus has laid the table with this parable, we see an interesting event that happens here. We see a very interesting event. And, and then if you look at the first words of our text in verse 15, it says, now they were bringing, which Luke is, the way he writes that, he's indicating that this is on the tail end of Jesus giving this parable and his teaching on it. And, and then all of a sudden, there's this mass of people that are there and, and people are just, parents are bringing their children, their infants, their little kids to Jesus to have him bless them. And our text has a couple of interesting contrasts in it this morning. Some interesting contrasts. We have young children contrasted with a very rich man. We have young children who have no cares in the world, who, who are excited by anything. Parents of young children who are glad that they're in children's church right now, you know. Little children get excited about everything. And so you say to them, we're going to go see Jesus, and they're all excited to be there. But you also have a man who was excited to be there too. Because in a parallel passage in Mark chapter 9, verse 17, we find out that this ruler who comes to see Jesus that we're going to see in verses 18 through 30, this ruler who comes, he ran to meet Jesus. He was very eager to see Jesus. So you got some similarities. you got parents who are, who are excited to get their kids to see Jesus. You've got a man who's very excited to get in front of Jesus and talk with him. But he doesn't live a carefree life. He's a wealthy man. If you have any kind of possessions at all, you know this, that with your possessions comes some care and some responsibility. Don't believe me? Think about the, the last time you had to repair your car. It's no fun, is it? It's no fun to be inconvenienced by it. It's no fun to have to pay for it. But with, with wealth and possessions comes cares and responsibilities and worries, right? And so this man comes not like a child with no care in the world at all. He comes with a lot of care and responsibility on him. What's interesting is, is that in both of these scenarios, the children coming to Jesus, the rich ruler coming to Jesus... We have people coming to the right source. If you want to know how to get into the kingdom of God, you better go to Jesus, right? If you, if you want to know how to enter into the kingdom of God, you better go to the source himself, who is Jesus. But what we're going to learn is it's not just enough to come to Jesus. It's not just enough to come to Jesus and to get Jesus' teaching on it. That isn't enough to get you into the kingdom. You must come to Jesus, but you must also hear what he has to say, and then you have to obey what he has to say. Let me make that really clear to you this morning. It's not enough to, to just come and listen to the words of Jesus. It's not enough to, to sit down even with your Bible and read it. That's a good thing. But unless you come committed to obey what you've read, then you've wasted your time. And if you don't come to Jesus, you'll never hear truth. But when you do come, you better be committed to following what he says is truth. So in light of that, let's, let's read our text this morning. We're going we're gonna to read verses 15 through 30 this morning. You follow along as I read it for you. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. I mean, picture this. You got disciples coming and telling parents, hey, get your little snot-nosed kid out of here. This is Jesus. 
He's got better, more important things to do. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I think you can. I think you can. If you've ever showed up at a cold-hearted church with your children and, and nobody told you how to get them to Sunday school or where the nursery was, you can relate to what's happening here. Can't you? They were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to them saying, or called them to him saying, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. On the heels of that, this man runs in front of him. He's an important guy. He's known. He's a ruler. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Would you pray with me this morning, Father? Important words here because these are the words of Jesus as he teaches us about entering into the kingdom. And so we want to, we want to be careful with these words this morning, Father. We want, to, we want to do them justice. And so, Spirit, we would ask that you would, in this place, give us understanding of the word this morning. That you would, would take the very words of God and, and drill them deep into our hard hearts, so that we might not just know them, but that we might believe them, that we might respond to them, we pray. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have this morning to open your word. We thank you that you have given it to us in a language that we understand, that you've given us the ability to comprehend. And so now, Lord, engage our minds and engage our hearts as we search your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So first, how do you enter the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus in verses 15 through 17 would say it very simply like this to us. You have to enter the, the kingdom of God like a child. To enter the kingdom of God, you must be childlike. Notice, notice the passage here. As I mentioned, they're bringing, they're bringing children to Jesus. According to Matthew chapter 19, which is a parallel passage, there's a large crowd here. And this was a common practice. This was not something unusual that would have happened. Anytime there was an important religious figure, like a rabbi or an elder, who was out and about, they would bring children to them so that they might lay hands on them and bless them. 
And so you have these parents, and they weren't just sick children. These were just children, and, and they were looking for the rabbinic blessing that would have been uttered over them. The, the, the rabbi would have said a few special words over them, might have even laid a hand on them. But, but you get the idea here that as they keep bringing these children to Jesus, the disciples are getting a little bit more and more irritated as it goes on because they see this as an unnecessary interruption of Jesus' ministry. And, and, and they, rebuke, they rebuke them. They rebuke the parents for doing this. It's like, stop! Just stop, okay? It's kind of like, have you ever been to an athletic event, and, and there's, there's somebody famous down on a, the, the court or on the field, and, and like spring training is going to start again here real soon, and, and what's going to happen is, is all these little kids, they go to these ball fields in Arizona and Florida, and they just line up, and they're waiting for their favorite player to come along, and they got a baseball, or they got a hat, or they got some jersey, and they want the guy to sign it, and, and you see guys signing, and then eventually they're like, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. I'll never forget years ago, back when you could actually do this, but I can remember taking one of my children to an Ohio State football game and standing outside the locker room, outside the gate there at the horseshoe, and players would come to the gate, and, and there would be guys who were trying to make money off of them, holding you know, these collectible helmets and stuff, but, but there, was, there was my daughter just having her program, handing it in there, wanting it to be signed, and these guys like looking and looking. You could see it in these 18 and 19-year-old kids' minds. They're like, how many more things do I have to sign here? And they were just waiting for the coach to come and just say, hey, get on the bus, get on the bus. And that's kind of the way the disciples are here now. They see this as an unnecessary interruption, but notice the juxtaposition of what Jesus says. Notice what Jesus says about children. He, he calls to his disciples and he says, hey, guys, knock it off. Let the kids come. Let the kids come. And he says, don't hinder them. Don't, don't stop them from coming. Can I say this to you parents? Can I say this to you grandparents? Let your children come to Jesus. Don't get in their way. When you keep them at home from where they can be taught about Jesus or in your home when you don't teach them about Jesus, you are keeping them from Jesus. Your children won't naturally just run to Jesus. You've got to bring them to Jesus. And don't keep them from Jesus. That's what Jesus would say to us. He's saying to his disciples, don't, don't hinder the children from coming to me. Can I go further? This is a freebie for you this morning. Don't count on the church to bring your children to Jesus. Don't count on a Christian school to bring your children to Jesus. Don't count on Adventures in Odyssey or some radio program that you play. You bring your children to Jesus. You bring your children to Jesus. Don't hinder them. Bring them to Jesus. Notice what Jesus says, though, in verse 16. It's kind of an interesting phrase. He says, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now, if we're not careful here, we could get some really weird stuff here. Because he says, the kingdom of God belongs to these kids right now. Is Jesus saying, church, that all these kids are, are saved? Is that what he's saying? I don't think so. I don't think that's what he's saying here. How can Jesus just declare that all these children who come to him, that he's blessed, are now a part of the kingdom? 
to truly get into the kingdom, we know that there are certain things that have to happen. You have to come by faith and by grace receive salvation here. That's not what he's saying is happening here. But what he's saying is to these children for to whom such belongs the kingdom of God. I've wrestled with this passage for years. What is he, Jesus saying here? And, and, and I, I've, I've kind of come to this decision about what's, what's Jesus really pointing at here. If you notice in verse 15, he says they're infants. And then in verse 16, he says children. It's a different word, okay? It's a different word. So they're bringing even infants to Jesus. Luke's trying to emphasize they're bringing from the youngest child that, you know, like newborns they're bringing to him all the way up to young toddlers to Jesus, right? Maybe even like 10, 11-year-olds. And he says, to such belongs the kingdom of God. Doesn't mean that all these children are believers, but there is some truth here in this. And there's, there's something I think, and it kind of just hit me this week, and I was doing some study, and I'm like, am I off base here? I talked to a couple of the other elders about it. I even did a little study on it and, and, and went back and found old guys who wrote about it and found some guys new who wrote about this because I've often wondered about this. Have you ever wondered about kids who die before they accept Christ as Savior? You ever wondered about babies who die before they accept Christ as Savior? Like, what does God do with that? What's going on with that? What's, what's the point here? And I think this text kind of gives us a clue. There's some other texts in Scripture that talk about this, but I think this text gives us some, some clues here. It's not the main point of the message this morning, but I want to point it out while we're here. Jesus says, let the children come to me, don't hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. I think what Jesus is saying here, part of what he's saying here is, is this, to those who are children who haven't consciously reached the point that you have to reach of understanding that there's truth in the gospel, that you're a sinner, and that you need to repent, those children are in God's care till they get to that point. Those children are in God's care till they get to that point. And if they die, they're secure in Him forever. Now, I can't dogmatically make that point, but I do believe that's what Jesus is hinting at here. Doesn't mean that all children are believers. Parents in this room, don't make the mistake of thinking just because you've brought your child to Jesus, maybe you've, you're reading the Bible with them and you bring them to Sunday school, that they're automatically a part of the kingdom of God. Everyone has to enter the same way by grace through faith. But I will say this, God is a just God, and for God to be just certain things have to be true. And and, and what has to be true is, is that a person has to know that they're a sinner before they can be condemned for their sin. And so I think this passage here kind of indicates to us that all children who don't reach the point of understanding and accountability are a part of the kingdom. You say, well, PD, what's that point? I'm like, I don't know. I think it's different for every kid. I think it's different for every kid. But I can tell you this, if you're a child in this room and you understand that you're a sinner and you understand that God punishes your sin, guess what? You're accountable for that child. Parent, as you're dealing with your children, as you're bringing that to bear, you need to bring that to bear. But let's be honest, that's a scary thing to bring to bear in the life of your child. 
Because once you bring that to bear, once there's an awareness of sin, and once there's an awareness that, that sin has a penalty, there is a responsibility, not of the parent to pray the prayer for the child, but the child by grace and by faith to pray that prayer and ask for forgiveness of their sins. But can I encourage you parents? It's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. But Jesus says in verse 17, in terms of entering the kingdom, he says this, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What he's saying is, if you're going to be a part of the kingdom of God, you got to be like a kid. You got to be like a kid. What does he mean by that? Well, children are helpless. Have you figured that out, that they're helpless? Even 10 and 11-year-olds at time can be really helpless. Am I right, parents? I don't know how to warm this up in the microwave. What? Yeah, they're helpless. But even more than that, they're helpless in this regard. Children cannot save themselves. One of the most touching things that ever happens to, is to, to a daddy is the first time that the daddy is walking through the room and the little baby is laying there or sitting there and they reach up to the daddy with their arms up. Remember when that happened to you as a father and how you felt about that? Did you walk by and like, no, you stay there. You're going to like it there. No, any dad that has any heart at all does what? Reaches down and scoops that kid up because what? Kids are helpless, right? They're helpless. They can't save themselves. And honestly, no man can save themselves. Your children can't save themselves just like you can't save yourself. But here's the thing about kids that's different than about big kids like you and me. They know they're helpless. They know they're helpless. They're humble enough to reach up for help. Children are helplessly dependent upon their parents. They're, they're, they're helplessly dependent upon their parents. And, and in doing so, there has to be complete trust in another. Have you ever noticed how much your, your kids trust you? And you're like, if you really knew what I was like, you wouldn't trust me at all. Right? But kids put complete dependent trust in their parents. Children are humble. They have no... <coughs> Excuse me, they have no pride of knowledge or accomplishment. No kid is like, I don't need your help. I'm a lot smarter than you, Dad. That happens when they're teenagers, by the way. <laughs> they, they learn that real quick. But, but children, little children, they have no pride of knowledge. They're not reciting facts to you as to, like, you could do it better this way, Dad. That happens by the time they turn, like, 10, 11, and 12, Right? And children also know how to do this, and they do it better than any adult does. They know how to simply receive a gift, don't they? They know just to take it and, and to open it and, and to enjoy it. As adults, we're like, oh, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have. You sh no kid says you shouldn't have <laughs> because they know how to receive gifts. And what Jesus is saying is, if you're going to enter the kingdom of God, you've got to be like a child. You've got to understand you're hopelessly dependent. You can't do this on your own. You've got to be humble enough to take it, and you've just got to take it and receive it and use it. And so if a child instructs us how to enter the kingdom, 
then a religious ruler instructs us about how not to enter the kingdom. Look with me at verses 18 through 30. Who's a ruler? Well, a ruler is either one of two people. He's either an elder in the community who's just known as this guy who's just really wise, really smart. He's one of these guys who, over the course of years, has built up respect, but most likely it's the leader in the synagogue. Most likely the elder here that Jesus is talking about, this ruler, is somebody who is the leader of the synagogue. And you don't just become the leader of the synagogue, you have to work hard to get there. Okay, so here's this guy who, who's, who is the leader of the synagogue. He's the most upright man, or at least he's deemed to be the most upright man in the synagogue. And, and, and he comes and he says to Jesus, good teacher. What's he saying there? He's saying this. You're the teacher above all other teachers. When he says that, he's saying, I recognize that, that what you have to say is some of the wisest stuff I've ever heard here. Okay, Here's a guy who leads a synagogue who is recognized as somebody who is a teacher in his community, and he comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher. So there's a level of respect here. And he asks a question. He asks a question that's, that's based on the right idea here. He wants to know how to get eternal life, but he asks with the wrong premise. Do you get it? He asks with the wrong premise. He asks, he asks about the right idea. He's seeking eternal life, but he asks with the wrong premise because notice what he says. What must I do? And isn't that the question that most of the world is asking today? What do I got to do? Just tell me what I got to do and I will do it. I'll do it a hundred times if you just tell me what I got to do. You know why the world struggles with the answer? Because when you tell the world nothing, the world is like, but I got to do something. There's got to be something I need. God needs me to do something. No, Jesus did it all. You don't need to do anything. He had to do something. He was looking for a self-righteous work to perform to be given eternal life. That's what he was looking for. He was looking for, if you just tell me the things I need to do, I will do them. And in the back of his mind, he's thinking like all of us would have thought, and I'll do it better than the next guy so that I make sure that I get it. Jesus kind of disarms him with his response. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus is not denying his divinity here, as some would teach this verse says. Jesus is not saying, I'm not divine. What he's saying here is, he wants to really see if this guy really understands who he is. Do you really understand that I truly am the son of God? Because if you do, you would obey me. That's what Jesus is asking here. This is what Jesus is driving at here with this question. And then he asked him, he doesn't really ask him. He makes statements. And basically the statements are to this question. How are you in relation to the law? How are you in relation to the law? And let me ask you this morning, church, how are you in relation to the law? So, so here's what he does. He, he brings out five commandments. Why, chooses, why Jesus chooses these five, I don't know. But he chooses these five. So, so he, verse 20, he says, you know the commandments. You're a ruler in the synagogue, right? You know them. I'm, I'm sure there's somebody in this room who could stand up right now and recite all 10 of the 10 commandments. I'm not going to make you do it, okay? 
But he says, you know the commandments. And then he lists five. Do not commit adultery. And in his mind, here's the ruler. Do not commit adultery. Yep, good on that one. Jesus keeps going. Do not murder. Nope, haven't killed anybody. Do not steal. I'm a ruler of synagogue. I never would steal. Are you kidding me? Do not bear false witness. I am true 100% of the time. And he says, honor your father and your mother. Well, of course, I wouldn't be in the position I'm in today if I hadn't honored my father and mother. So as Jesus lists these, this guy gives the answer in verse 21. He says, all these I have kept from my youth. Now, if we were to take him to Jesus' standard for the keeping of these commandments, he wouldn't be able to answer that he had kept any of them, would he? But based on his standing in the community and based on his understanding of the law, he can say before Jesus, yep, I'm, I'm perfect on these. I'm great. But there's five commandments that Jesus hasn't named, right? And, and, and so Jesus then asks him or says something to him in verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. One thing you still lack. Now, put yourself in the shoes of this ruler who's just answered, yeah, I've kept the commandments. And Jesus says, wait a minute, you're missing something. Okay? This is almost like, what? What do you mean? What am I? I'm missing something. I just answered your question. And Jesus says this, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. It's a curious curious response that Jesus gives here. The point of this is not that only the poor will enter the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. The point of what Jesus is saying here, Jesus is not saying that only the poor will enter the kingdom of God. How do I know that? Because we're going to see soon in Luke chapter 19, Jesus encounters another rich guy named Zacchaeus who was very wealthy and he pronounces him as part of the kingdom of God before he's done with him. And Zacchaeus does not have to give away all his wealth to be a part of the kingdom of God. So this isn't just about money. This isn't just about money. But there is a big point here that Jesus is going to make that affects every one of us in this room. But I want to point out something to you about the law. When, when, when the guy says that he's kept the law and then Jesus has to respond with something else, does it strike you that Jesus doesn't say to him, if you've kept all the law, then you have eternal life? And, and why doesn't it hit this guy that who thinks he's kept the law, why is a guy who's kept the law, supposedly in his mind all of his life, coming and looking for eternal life? That, that ought to provoke us to think. Why a guy who all his life has been righteous and good, why he's coming and saying to Jesus, what do I got to do to get eternal life? Because here's the thing, folks, keeping the law was never intended to satisfy your soul. Let me say that again. Keeping the law, being good, the law was never intended to satisfy your soul. The law was intended to point out your sin, and it points us to our need of Christ, who is the true satisfaction of our soul. And this guy's got this gnawing need. 
He's been keeping the rules. He's been keeping the rules better than anybody else in the synagogue. He's been a great rule keeper, but I want to tell you, just keeping the rules will leave you very dissatisfied because it does nothing for your soul. It gives you no assurance. You don't lay at bed at night when, when you're trying to answer the world's hard questions and the hard questions about your own soul. You don't lay at bed at night and go, but I was really good today. I wonder where I'm going to go when I die, but I was really good today. I kept the law better than anybody else. That's an answer that will keep you awake at night. And so Jesus, when he quizzes him on the law here, and he says, hey, I'm good with the law, I've kept it. When he says, one thing I lack, at that point, this guy should have perked up and it should have been like, he's about to tell me what I need to hear. But Jesus says something that goes right to the heart of this guy and exposes what you and I have in our heart. We all have idols in our heart. Every single one of us has things that we worship in our heart. For some of us, it's money. For some of us, it's sex. For some of us, it's our family. For some of us, it's the position in my job. For some of us, it's what people think about me. But make no mistake, every single one of us has a heart idol that we bow down and worship. And Jesus now exposes the idol of this man's heart. And basically, what he's saying is, what will you give up to pursue me? What will you give up to pursue me? Do you see it there? He's like, one thing you lack, sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And then he says, and come follow me. That's important. That's not just an add-on here at the end of this verse. Can I say this to you as parents because it's important for your kids and it's important for you to know this as well? It's not enough just to accept Jesus into your heart. I hate that statement. It's not enough to accept Jesus into your heart. No, when you make a commitment to Christ, you are making a commitment to come and follow him for life, for life. That's why it's called a narrow way. That's why it's not the broad way. That's why not everybody is doing this. When you're talking to your kids about salvation, when you're talking to yourself about your own salvation, understand this. Jesus is making a hard call here. He's not saying that only the poor will enter into heaven. What he's saying is, do you really want me as Lord or do you want the idol of your heart as Lord? And make no mistake, there will be only one thing that will rule your heart. Your heart will be ruled by something, but it's only going to be one thing. It's either going to be Jesus as Lord or something else. Is Jesus the one that you truly submit to? Because here, this man is now put directly in, in, in a place now where he's been challenged by Jesus, and is he going to submit to who, what Jesus has said and who Jesus is? Is he going to submit to it, or is he going to walk away? Well, we get our answer real quick. He gets sad. He's sad. Because here's what he knows. I've come really close here to obtaining eternal life, but I can't get rid of my heart idols. 
If you'd asked me to give away my wife, I'd have said yes. If you asked me to be done with my kids, I said yes. If you'd asked me to, 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 to give up, you know, I don't know, Mountain Dew, I said yes. But you asked me to give up my money here, no. You can have a lot of things here, Jesus, but you can't have my money. And he leaves sad. He's grieving because, because he believed, like a lot of people believe, that his wealth was an indicator that God was blessing in his life. That's a lie then, and it's a lie today. You know what? God loves the poor person in Haiti just as much as he loves the wealthy American. And in many ways, God's blessed that poor person in Haiti more than he's blessed the wealthy American. I've spent time with the poor people in Haiti and the poor people in Togo. They're a lot happier than most Americans. This guy leaves sad. Now notice what Jesus teaches about it in the few minutes we have left here, verses 24 and 25. Basically, what Jesus it's teaching here is first and foremost that there's a great poverty that comes with being wealthy. <laughs> there's a great poverty that comes with being wealthy. Notice 24, Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Can I just debunk a theory here? There was no gate in the walls of Jerusalem that was so small that the camels had to kneel down and they had to take the bundles off the camel that's being spread around. Jesus is talking in hyperbole here, people. You know what hyperbole is? He's saying it's impossible for this big, large animal to get through the eye of a little tiny needle. That's really what Jesus is saying here. Is it possible to do that, people? No, it's not possible. And what he's saying here is, not just for rich people, it's for all of us who hold on to our hard idols. It's impossible for us if we're going to hold on to our hard idols to enter the kingdom of God. But money sure is a big indicator. Just like it was in that day, it's true in our day. You can walk into many churches in this country, even some right here in central Ohio, that will teach you that the sure sign that God is blessing you is in your bank account, and that is a lie from the pit of hell. Amen. Let me say it again. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Because here's what man does. We trust in our wealth for our security. Even followers of Jesus do it. I mean, if you, if you got up tomorrow morning and before you headed to work, you got on your, your phone and you checked out your bank account and found that someone had drawn it to zero, would you feel very secure? I doubt many of us would be, would be singing like, Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, and where did my money go? No, we'd be in a panic, wouldn't we, church? Because that's where we put our security. And what Jesus is saying here is, stop putting your security in the things of this world. There's only one thing that's going to make you secure, and that's knowing Christ. And wealth is not an automatic sign of God's blessing. If you're here this morning and you're wealthy, God doesn't love you more. And 
And so what Jesus is saying is, is that for many, riches bring great poverty. But then somebody asked the obvious question. You see it there in verse 26? Because, because the common belief, just like it is today, is, okay, if, if this guy... If this guy who is this really religious guy, he's the ruler in the synagogue here in town. This guy, and, and, and he leaves sad because he can't enter the kingdom of God. The, somebody just blurts out, well, then who can be saved if this guy, if this guy can't be saved? Who can be? I've got bad news and good news. The self-righteous can't be saved. Good news, those who will humble themselves can be saved any day of the week and twice on Sundays. Right? Not really twice on Sundays. See, Jesus gives the answer. Jesus said, it's impossible with man. Until you and I realize that it's impossible with man to be saved, then we can never be saved. (laughs) You can never come to Christ until you realize it's impossible with man. But, he says, what is impossible with man is what? Possible with God. It's possible with God. It's, it's, it's only possible because of what God does. I was talking to the teen Sunday school class this morning and bringing that to bear, and I was talking to them about the gospel and about salvation, and the thing I kept pointing out to them is, is, is who's responsible for this? Did you, did you do this? Did you call yourself? <laughs> did you choose yourself? Did you justify yourself? Are you glorifying yourself? No. No, big no to all of that. God that does it. It's God that does it. It's a damnable heresy to believe that you and I have anything to do with our salvation. It's only through God that makes it possible. But he doesn't stop there. He gives us a great principle that I want to leave with us this morning. Look at verses 28 through 30. Peter, Peter hears all this, and in true Peter fashion, he's the guy who's going to speak up, right? Peter's going to be the guy who's going to speak for the voice. You know, he's going to be the voice for the disciples. He, he's looking around at this. He's seeing Jesus actually telling him to bring children when he's one of the guys trying to keep the children away. And, and Jesus is saying, you've got to be childlike to enter the kingdom of God. And then he's seeing this rich man and, and this really righteous rich man who Jesus sends away sad. And, and, and Jesus then says, with what is impossible with man is possible with God. And, and Peter says this. We've left everything to follow you, Jesus. Is he trying some kind of self-righteous trick here with Jesus? No. He's just being truthful with Jesus. He's like, I got nothing to offer you. I I left it all to follow you. And Jesus doesn't rebuke him, does he? Notice what Jesus does. He says, truly I say to you, There is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. And what Jesus is talking about is the great exchange. Do you know what the great exchange is? Let me tell you what the great exchange is. In Matthew 13, Jesus taught about about the great exchange in a couple parables. We don't have time to look at it, but remember this guy went and he bought a field, and it had this hidden treasure in it, and he sold everything to buy the field. He made a great exchange, didn't he? 
And then there was a guy who, when he found the pearl of great price, he sold everything so he could get the pearl. I want to tell you this, folks. Jesus is the treasure. Jesus is the pearl. Are you willing to give it all up for the sake of Jesus? And I want to say this to you all this morning. I want to say this to teenagers in this room this morning because the world is telling you it's not worth giving it up to follow Jesus. And I want to tell you something. God is saying this. It is worth it to give up all that this life has to give, all that this life has to promise you, all that this life is, is presenting to you. It's worth it all to give it all up to attain the joy and blessing of eternal life and being a part of the kingdom of God. Young adults in this room that are trying to figure out how to make it through your life, let me tell you, it is worth it all to give all this that this world offers you up for the sake of following Jesus. Middle-aged men in this world who are wondering, what am I doing in this dead-end job that just never seems to be changing or anything? It is worth it to give it all up to find the joy of being a part of the eternal kingdom of God. I'm not advocating, and Jesus is not advocating, the willful leaving of your family. He's not saying, divorce your wife and follow me and things will be much better. It's not what he's saying here. But what he is saying is this, homes and siblings and spouses and children, which are normally good things. Are they not good things, church? Having a home is a good thing, right? Having a spouse is a good thing right? Having children is a good thing. Having brothers and sisters, that's a good thing. They don't compare, though, to what it is to know the joy of the kingdom of God. They don't compare. And here's what I know to be true in my own life, and I'm guessing it's true in your life. I get really attached to homes. I get really attached to my spouse. I get really attached to my children. I know, I'm crazy, okay? I get really attached to, to my family. I get attached to you people, and I get so attached that I don't realize how great it is to have eternal life. And Jesus is pointing it out to us. He's saying, not just a little bit more, look at verse 30. Look at verse 30. This is a promise from Jesus himself. This is straight out of his mouth to us this morning. Will not you will not, who will not, he said, for the sake of the kingdom of God, will not receive many times more in this time. He's talking about this life. And in the age to come. He's ta not talking about dollars in your bank account. He's talking about spiritual reward and spiritual blessing. And if we're not willing to sacrifice our heart idols for the sake of the kingdom of God, then it's a miserable life that we're living. Just be honest with you. If you're not willing to give up that one thing that you're thinking about right now, <laughs> if you're not willing to give that up for the sake of the kingdom of God, it's a miserable life. And it's going to be an even more miserable eternity. Notice this account comes full circle. Verse 18. He's asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? <laughs> and at the end of verse 30, what does Jesus say? <laughs> In the age to come, what? Eternal life. Jesus answers the man's question. The problem is he didn't stick around long enough to get the answer. He left sad. Now it's up to us. We've heard this. If you're not in Christ this morning, 
If you're not his child, if, he, if you're not willing to sacrifice your heart idols, it's a miserable existence. Now, don't hear me say that if you sacrifice those things, God's going to make your life perfect. I didn't say that. Your best life isn't now. Your best life is to come in glory. But he does promise blessing in this life. He does promise blessing in this life. What are you going to do with that promise? Father, what a powerful message from Jesus. What a, what a powerful truth that he shares with us. And Lord, I pray for every young person in this room who's wrestling with, is it worth it? I pray for, for every person who, who, has, who has, like the rich ruler, lived life and come to the point where they're just like, I'm not satisfied. May, t- may today be the day that they find satisfaction in Christ and in Christ alone, I pray. We love you, Lord. Thank you for speaking truth to us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.